Section 2, Chapter 2. We're taking a deeper dive into man in this world and how man is judged, or more accurately, the consequences for our actions, the spiritual consequences, both positive and negative, and how that applies on a communal level for the entire Jewish people. We're zooming out, um, addressing the purpose of the universe again, something that we covered extensively in the first section, and now we're approaching it on a more detailed level. Okay. I'm glad to be back. Here we go. Number one. We've already explained that the purpose of creation of man is that he should merit and reach true goodness. And what is goodness? That's connecting to God. And so ultimately, the purpose of the end game for all of these processes that man will endure throughout his lifetime and beyond is the final state in the world to come. However, Hashem's wisdom decreed that man cannot just be placed in that final state originally, as we've explained why. But first, we need to proceed that world to come with the state here in this world and that the soul needs to be tied into the world and bound by the laws of nature of this world. Because that is the appropriate preparation, the true preparation that's required in order for us to achieve, to properly achieve the goal. This world gives us the opportunity to attain perfection. Exactly. So therefore, as you just said, the grand scheme of things, the purpose of this world is that everything is arranged. Literally, all elements of the world that we live in are arranged specifically in order to be a state of preparation for the world to come, which is the true goal. Now, Now, this state of preparation, this world, there are really two different perspectives that we can view the whole thing from. The first perspective is the individual, a person himself, me, you. And the second perspective is the grand scheme, the collective, all of human civilization. The personal level, that's on, in your own personal life, your acquisition of your own personal perfection, expressing your potential. Vaklali, the second level, the collective, who he's That's the goal of bringing mankind to its ultimate purpose on a general level. Let's explain that. Since man is created with free will, we have a good inclination that comes from our soul and the evil inclination that comes from being rooted in our body and physicality. People have free will. That means some people are going to be good. Some mm-hmm. people are going to be bad. And there's going to be a mix. The end of the process needs to be that the bad among society is excised, removed. 
And the good, quote-unquote good people that remain are collected into one group. And that collective, that group of good human beings is what is destined to have the full human experience in the next world. Does he make any statements about what portion of people is in either or each of these categories? You know, like I mean, if, if there's of, of the human being, right? If there's if there's good people and bad people, and he's clearly delineating separate categories, is it? I mean, is it an even number of people in each one? No, he doesn't say because he, here we're just delineating the system. We're just explaining how everything works. He's not making any prophetic predictions for okay. how many people will succeed within the system. So these are the rules. This right. is how it works. Okay. Okay. Number three. Now, the rules of free will, the laws of free will, necessitate the possibility, like we mentioned, that there will be some disparity within mankind, meaning maybe all of human beings will be good, or maybe all will be bad, and it's also possible that some will be good and some will be bad. That's also true on an individual level. We, up until this point, we've been saying a person is good or bad, as if you know, oh, it's a so black or white situation. Mm, but yeah. the individual himself could be a mix. It's possible that a person's actions will be totally good or totally evil. That's actually not that possible. Uh, practically speaking, it's not very likely. The more likely scenario is what he says now. It's possible that some of someone's actions will be good and some of their actions will be bad. And this is what prevents that ultimate a collective group from forming, as we mentioned before. Because who are you going to find that's totally perfect, that's going to form hmm. this like perfected group? Right. You'll find the majority of people are a mix. So you can't bring the evil within you into the perfected group. There can't be evil in this perfected right. group. Right, it wouldn't that, be the perfected group. Exactly. Okay. We, we need the ultimate goal is that there's... There's no evil there at all. It's total good and total perfection. Okay. So how do you achieve that? We need to weed out the bad people. Now, the problem is, if you weed out the bad people, who are you left with? Because these good people, Basically everyone's Basically, no one, because, yeah, all of us have some... We've all given into the evil inclination at some point. Right. So so it, how, do you, how do we categorize people as being good or bad when everyone's a mix of both, or practically everyone? Even so, maybe you'll say maybe the majority will define, right? So, a person if they if the majority of their actions are good, then we'll define them as a good person, mm -hmm. and if the majority of someone's actions are bad, we'll define them as a bad person. And there's actually some truth to that in Judaism, but he's not saying that now. But this is a concept that, in a world of complexity, that we have now where things are disparate and there's everything's mixed, things must have some sort of definition and they're defined by the majority. So that's why he's bringing this up. You might say, well, just go with the majority. But there's a problem with that because he because it's not just. 
Kishura Sadin Lysena Shekol Maisim Yugmulu, Hain Gedovim Hain Katanim, Hain Harbe Hain Maat. Because justice and righteousness demands that every action be accounted for appropriately, whether they're big or small, many or few. So to say that someone, just because the majority of their actions are good, let's say, to say that they are good, period, well, and to whitewash any negative thing that they've done and basically just wipe it out of existence and pretend like it's not there because the majority of what they've done is good, mm-hmm. that's not righteous. They've done bad things. That needs to be accounted for. Okay, so the bad things have to be accounted for, and then also it's is, – is it all suggesting that person doesn't deserve to be in the same category as someone who is more good than them, who has done less of the bad things maybe? Sure. You could say it like that. But they don't deserve to be treated as good with a with a period at the end, right? Capital G, period, good. It's not true. Yeah, okay. Because their their essence is a mix. So and justice requires, like actual justice requires your good deeds are rewarded, but your bad deeds are punished. Yeah, truth, justice, fairness, whatever you want to say. Okay. That, you know, how do we just ignore things? And the same is true in the opposite level. Let's say if someone is is determined to be bad because the majority of their actions are evil. So how are we going to ignore the good things they do? That needs to be accounted for also. Mm-hmm. Alkain, therefore, so therefore, the, the consequences for our actions are divided into, at, this, at least at this point, uh, divided into two stages. We'll see that there's a third stage later. Whether it be for, quote-unquote, reward or punishment, and th- these are very superficial terms. It doesn't really mean a reward. Right? I, th- I think at this point in the podcast, we understand that we're not talking about when someone does something that's spiritually powerful or good, that they're not getting paid with some ticket that they can cash in in an amusement park. Right? It's, it's not a reward. It's the natural, quote-unquote, natural positive consequence that's resultant from that action. Are we talking about uh, natural consequence, you know, like cause and effect in this world? No. Cause and effect as in if I develop a rela- if I do something that promotes my relationship with God, the result of that is I have a stronger relationship with God. Okay. And a greater share in Olam Haba. Yes. That's in other words, mm, right? Yeah. Uh, and conversely, you know, the opposite. So this quote-unquote, reward and punishment. Now, that could show up, that relationship with God, that's how it shows up in the final world, in the world to come. In this world, it might look like success in this world, right? That, that payment could be given. But we'll, we'll get into that in a second. So we just said that it needs to be split. Since everything's confused, people are mixed together. Within one individual, you could have good actions and bad actions, how do you just define them as one or the other? To solve this problem, we have the recompense for actions in this world and the next world. Two times in two different places. First of all, we do divide the actions, as we mentioned earlier, into the majority and the minority. The majority of someone's actions, which will determine their essential identity, will be handled independently from the minority actions in 
either this world or the next world. And the minority will be handled also independently. Now, the true judgment, so to speak, the true compensation for a person's actions, the results show up in Olam Haba, the next world. As we've mentioned. And the reward, like we just spoke about, when a person merits it, is the eternal connection to God forever, in perpetuity. The punishment, so to speak, is to be pushed away from true goodness and to be ultimately destroyed. Now, if we understand everything that we've mentioned up until now in the podcast, we understand that it's not a punishment in the sense that we normally think about it, meaning you did something wrong and so you get hit for it. Mm -hmm. That's not what's happening here. A person being destroyed is not a punishment. It is the result of their choice. They chose illusion. They chose to identify with this world, which is inherently illusory. Well, and it seems like there's a fundamental difference. Correct me if I'm wrong. There's a fundamental difference between, you know, being burned when you put your hand on, on the stove and being wiped out of existence, where the burn is to teach you not to do this again, whereas being wiped out is you you had your chance. It's over. Like, Well, it's both. It The burn isn't just to teach you. The burn is the result. You... You put your hand on something hot, and then it burned off some of your skin. I mean, that, that's just what happens. Um, and that's, I think, more of an analogy to what's really happening here. But th- th- what you were saying, I think a better analogy would be if a parent were disciplining their child, right? Mm-hmm. He runs out in the street, and it's dangerous, and he could have got hit by a car. So the parent slaps him on his tush. Said so that that's not a direct consequence of what he did, but that's intended to be a deterrent for the future, you know, to redirect their course of actions. Right. Well, um, isn't that what, what God has done by setting up certain things like like the hot stove, for example? Yeah, but we're, we're not even close to talking about that yet. Okay. Right. So what, what we're discussing now is if a person, through their own free will, made these choices, and we're talking about the way a person actually used their own free will, and no one else is responsible for it other than the individual, there's no one to complain about. If that person chose to identify with an illusory world and to reject truth, that will be their experience, mm. is that they will be illusory, not real. And there's nothing left of an identity in a world of pure truth. They can only exist in a world of illusion. Okay. When the world of illusion is gone, they will also be gone. I see. So the true the world of truth is that next world, right? If a person identifies with God, they will continue to exist in so much as they exist vicariously through God. If a person chooses the other way, then they will be destroyed. So that's what he's saying right now. That's the next world. Now to determine whether a person will be ultimately destroyed or will have any sort of existence is determined, yes, based on the majority of a person's actions. So majority good, they will exist because that will define their identity, Some an entity that exists in connection with God. 
And if the majority of their actions determined them to be something illusory, when this world is gone, there will be nothing left of them to have an identity that remains. Now, what about the issue that we're trying to solve that you can have someone whose majority actions are good, but they've, they've engaged in bad behavior. They have been sucked into the illusion here in this world. Or the opposite, someone who is majority evil, but does good things. Where's the accounting for, for those actions, the minority? The bad actions by righteous people and the good actions by wicked people, that shows up here in this world. Those are paid for in this world primarily. When a, when a wicked person will do something good, they will be rewarded here in this world with success, with worldly success. So that's met with you know, that reward, and they've been properly compensated. And conversely, when a righteous person will do something negative, that needs to be accounted for here in this world with difficulty and suffering. So the question that that immediately brings up is when I see a person who, you know, works hard and appears to be successful, say financially, uh, does that inherently mean that that person's wicked? No, absolutely not. What we're discussing a, a larger system. This is an excellent question. Let's answer it very quickly now, mm -hmm. but we'll get to it later on. When we ask for good things here in this world and we we want blessing, and we want uh, a good salary, and a place to live, and a family, and all these good things that we have in our life. It is not in response to the good deeds that we do. We are not asking to be rewarded. God forbid, we do not want reward. We do not want our, you know, quote unquote, our salary to be paid out here. What we want is an expense account. And the expense account is not your salary. It's not being paid for you because you're doing a good job. It's in order to facilitate you to do the job that you're supposed mm. to do. So blessing here in this world is intended to facilitate our actions. As the Torah says, if you do all of these things, and the Torah says if you keep all of the commandments and you listen to God's word and you behave as you're supposed to, then you'll have all of these blessings. Then the rains will fall and you'll, you'll be prosperous, etc. That's not a reward. That's saying if you're doing your job, I'll up your expense account because you've proven that you're using it appropriately. Okay. Right. But it's none of that is a reward. And so that expense account is going to be different for each person depending on what their individual purpose Especially is. Especially on an individual level, we're not even close to talking about okay. that. Okay. Yeah. So so right now we're just talking about a person's spiritual accounting. Um, that it this is part of the system that a person could be paid for in this world. Uh, so to answer your question, you have no idea. When if you see someone okay. being successful in this world, is it because they're getting standard blessing. They're getting something that Hashem is just meeting out to the human race so that we have an ability to survive here and continue. Or is it being paid out as a reward for any good action in order to, as we'll see, um, square them off mm. before, the, before the next world? Uh, we don't know. So let's continue here. Vihat Sadik. When it comes to the righteous person, he will receive his punishment for negative, for bad deeds with suffering here in this world. And, and in that way, everyone's, 
everyone's account will be square. By the time they leave this world, ideally, a person who was majority good will have already paid for their bad deeds. And a person who's majority bad will have been paid for their good deeds. And now this person is totally fitting to receive what their you know, judgment should be in the next world, either totally good or totally bad. So the, the righteous, the collection of righteous will be left totally righteous without any sort of bad mixture among them. So not only will this collective be made up completely of righteous people, but the righteous people themselves will also have nothing preventing them from experiencing God. Because there's no, there's no more illusion left that's blocking that. And the wicked will be just eliminated from reality as a consequence of their decisions. Mm. And there's no complaint because that's that is the existence that they chose for themselves. Okay. Okay. Number four. Now, everything that we've set up until now is ideally, ideally, the account will be square when a person finishes his life, and then he'll be totally either good or bad. Uh, no, well, it's not ideal to be bad, but. That would be the cleanest approach. Mm -hmm. However, that would result in maybe half of the entire human race just being completely eliminated. And God doesn't want that. God doesn't want to just destroy people. right? God wants the ultimate success of the maximum oh, amount of people. So you're saying maybe half because just maybe roughly half of the people just have a little bit more wickedness than good to them? Yeah, I threw out a number because, you know, Roll the dice. Well, yeah, right. If there were just like a normal distribution. Right. The point is it would be a fairly high number or at least a relatively high number. Yeah. So in order to avoid that, in order to give people the maximum uh, advantage. Chance at redemption. Yes. There is another system that's in place here. That there is a method of cleansing a person, getting them ready for anyone that would need it, even after this world. We're talking about someone who did immerse themselves um, too much in evil. I mean, any amount is too much, but this is a, a significant amount. But not so much to the point where they cannot possibly continue to exist in the world to come. So they're kind of in the middle, but they've still been degraded to a large degree. There's a chance for them. And that is there's a whole new category of, you know, he's using this word anashim, which means punishment. But we know that this is a this is an immature translation. But let's use the word punishment, understanding that it's much more than that. Um, it's actually for our benefit, right? There's this whole new category of of quote unquote punishments. The most notable of which is Gehenim, which is sometimes translated as hell. Probably more accurately, purgatory. Uh, if you're familiar with, with Christian theology. The 
the purpose of Gehenim is to deal with a person's sin according to their level of sin. That after their experience in Gehenim of truly experiencing and burning out whatever evil that was part of their identity, that it will no longer remain as part of who they are after that process. And then afterwards, they'll be totally receptive and a clean vessel to experience the true goodness that they really did achieve in this world. Did he say that this is one thing in a, in a category of things like this? Gehenna, it sounded like he said, was, was one thing. Yes. And there's a category. Right. He mentioned Gehenna is the most well-known yeah. of them. And that's all he says. <laughs> So let's okay. continue. All right. Now it comes out that now that this option is available, you asked the question before, does he does he speak about the percentage of people that are successful in mm-hmm. the purpose of life? Which, which people get to be in the good category. Right. And although he doesn't really give a percentage, he points out that now with the existence of Gehenna, it reduces the number of the quote-unquote, you know, the wicked, the categorically wicked that just get destroyed to a very small number. Okay. Because these people, in order for someone to not merit anything in the next world, they would have to be so deeply evil here in this world, to completely abuse their free will to the point where they could not possibly in any way continue to exist in the next world. If they were cleansed by Gehenna, there would be nothing left. Exactly. Right. If you burn out all of the evil, that is not the same entity that existed here in this world. Mm. The identity is just not there. And that's a, a relatively few number of individuals within the entire human race. That's good news. Yes, it is good news. We, we always have the advantage. God wants us to succeed. That's the good news. So now it comes out, we said earlier that we divided man's judgment into two stages. Really, there's three stages. The main state of a person's true essence is determined in the final world, which is after the resurrection of the dead, as we've mentioned now, the actions that constitute the minority of a person's behavior, whether it be good or bad, so those are dealt with either here in this world through either suffering or having a good, successful life, respectively. And there are some that are paid for and dealt with in the sort of middle world, the world of souls. The, the interim between this world and the final world after the resurrection. As we mentioned before, what we're discussing now is very high-level stuff. This is theoretically how the system works. So he points out, however, the, the actual application of these rules and these laws, they are only known to God, the true judge. Only God knows truthfully 
the reality of people's actions and all of the consequences of those actions and all of the intentions that go behind them. Not even we're aware of it in our own personal lives because mm. we're blinded by our own biases. We have no idea uh, how much of our free will we're really choosing or how much we've been influenced. Only God knows everyone's own personal judgment. And Hashem also knows not only the reality of our choices, but how to best deal with them appropriately, whether at this stage, right here in this world, with this path, meaning if a person should lose money or get a sickness, God forbid, or any of those things, or if a person should receive success in this world, or some amount of time in Gehenna and the intensity of that Gehenna, all of these things, we know that the system exists. We have no idea how it is truly applied on an individual level. We don't know what the balance sheet looks like. Right. It's impossible to know. Uh, it, would, it would be so complex that it's beyond any comprehension anyway. Umash yodano anachnu. The only thing that we know, we are privy to the general rules for how these things are approached. What it's founded on and what it's determined based on. And we also know, as we explained, that the ultimate goal of this whole system is to ultimately collect this group of perfected ones, that they are now proper and fitting to be collected eternally in connection, conjunction with God. In order for this to be applied appropriately, we need all of the elements of everything we've been speaking about, all of them together, in order to properly prepare humanity here in this world uh, and individuals for their ultimate purpose. Now he continues and says, if we look deeper into this, and what he's going to say now is actually something that we've kind of discussed already. In addition to the fact that this whole system is fair and true, it's also based on just the reality that exists. What that means is meaning like consequences. We've already explained that when a person does good actions, they are reinforcing within themselves, in their physical body and in their spiritual character, a reality of perfection and elevation. And the opposite, when a person engages in bad activity, they are reinforcing in themselves a reality or an illusion, really, of obscurity and deficiency. And it's all exact. It's all according to exactly what they did and their level of intention, etc. Not less and not more. Extremely precise. Not extremely precise. Perfectly precise. Now, you take someone that's very righteous, someone that's truly elevated themselves and accomplished a great deal of holiness within themselves. However, on the other hand, because of some 
few actions that they've done, which are negative. Now they have a little bit of a mixture of darkness and obscurity within their character, within their nature. As long as that mixture of evil is in there, they are not fitting, they're not ready for a full connection with God. So therefore, God decreed that there should be a purification process. And that's the idea of suffering here in this world. That there is a, a fascinating metaphysical ability built into the concept of suffering that removes obscurity and illusion from a person's existence. And it leaves a person pure and capable of receiving true goodness. And so therefore, to the extent that a person has invited that level of obscurity into their character and their nature, so to that level of hardship and suffering will be necessary to excise that. And it's possible that there's been so much darkness brought into a person that physical discomfort or pain won't be enough to eliminate it, and they will need uh, spiritual suffering. Um, this might have to do with mental issues, personality disorders, maybe things like that. Oh, so he's not spiritual suffering is not referring again to Gehenna. It's not referring to Gehenna. It's referring to also suffering that happens here in, in this, this life. world. Okay, right. Meaning, in addition to a person. Um, let's say, God forbid, breaking their leg, they might also, God forbid, suffer with delusions and psychosis and things like that, mm. which is a higher level of, of hardship and suffering, of course. And now this is the general rule, and it's broken down into details that are so complex that he says, it's literally impossible for the human mind to conceive of, of how this process is applied. Number six. Now, let's talk about the totally wicked. We're talking about someone who has reinforced their identity with so much evil, so much darkness, to the degree that that they have completely destroyed themselves in terms of the existence of their essence, their identity. And they are left literally incapable of having any sort of congruence with God. It's possible that these people will still have some good deeds in their hands. But these actions, these actions when weighed on the scales of justice do not tilt in the direction of good at all when they're ultimately judged, this person. These good deeds, whether in terms of quantity or in quality, do not tilt the scales in their ultimate favor. Because if they would, 
of course, they wouldn't be considered to completely wicked people. Mm-hmm. They would rather be in the category of people that, uh, let's say, would require Gehenim. Mm-hmm. They would require some, uh, some extra purification, and ultimately we get to the good. We're talking about people that their actions have no ability to tilt the scales in terms of their identity. However, so that justice can be served because they did do good things, you can't leave these actions unpaid. No good deed goes unpaid. That's the right way to say it. It's been established within reality. Hashem makes it that they are paid for here in this world. And it comes out that all of that merit has now been taken care of, squared away, and there's nothing left for their ultimate existence. Okay, so we've established a concept here that God has created perfect justice in the world. And so a person who does good deeds will have those good deeds rewarded, but also that same person who does bad deeds, even in a small quantity, has to have those small quantity of bad deeds punished. And of course, the converse is true with a an overall wicked person. But so with this person here, who does not get any share in the world to come, they're going to be paid in this world for their good deeds. How can we say that any amount of reward in this world is somehow equivalent to the perfection in perpetuity that we'll get in Olam Haba? That's an excellent question. This is the big problem. This is, this is a tremendous problem because we're, it's true. We're, there is no exchange rate because it's not just that, leave aside the fact that connection to God is just incomparable to any amount of benefit that you could receive in this world. Aside from that, as you point, it's in perpetuity. Mm, yeah. The reward that you receive in the next world is eternal. There's literally nothing that can compare to that in a finite world that, that ends. So how if this one action, had the person been good, that action would have been paid for with eternal reward. Yeah. And now since they don't reach that level of the scales, it's being paid for with something which is completely incomparable. It's an excellent question. I, I have never seen that question explicitly and therefore I've never seen an answer from, from our sages or anyone wiser than me. However, I can try to answer you based on my understanding of this text and others that it's ultimately what's happening here is that when a person is determined to be a completely wicked person. There's nothing left of them to experience that goodness in the world to come. There, there is no person. It's just not possible. And so that action must be paid, but it has to be paid to that person. But that person does not exist in the next world. They can't be paid for this in the next world because that's not where they are. This is an illusory person that only exists here in this world and since that's who they are, that's the maximum reward that they could possibly attain is something here in this world within the illusion. And so that they can be paid for that action within the world that they exist. For someone that exists eternally, 
they experience the, that reward eternally because that's their essence. Right. That that does actually make sense. I mean, if someone told you that they were going to give you a hundred bucks today or a million dollars five years after you die, you'd know it's obvious. Well, I can't make any use of a million dollars after I'm dead. Uh, so I'll take I'll take the hundred bucks today, even though there there's no scenario where these things are comparable. In one case, this is entirely inaccessible to me. Right. So I think I think through that lens, it it does make a little bit more sense as long as as long as we understand that yeah, these things are not comparable. No amount of uh, illusory finite reward could possibly compare. Right. A hundred percent. I'd like to maybe modify your analogy a little bit. And the analogy that I'm going to say still isn't isn't good or it's not accurate uh, enough. But it would it would also be like if you would tell me I'll give you $5 for the rest of your life every day. So if a person would receive that deal and he would live for the next 10 years, so okay, nice, 5 bucks every day mm. for 10 years, that's yeah. a nice amount of money, but it ends. At a certain point, that's a finite amount of money. If this person lives forever... So can you compare that infinite amount that he's going to be some, getting? Some to, infinite sum. Right. right. It's clearly incomparable, but that's because that person's existence is an eternal existence, and this person's existence is a finite right. temporal existence. Okay. Now, it's still not a great analogy because the rewards are totally different also. Right? I think it, it does. I think that's even better, though, and it does, it does make sense. Thank you. Number seven. Now, here's a very important point, and he's going to say that it's extraordinarily foundational, which it is, because you might think up to this point that, okay, once all the bad gets burned out, then you're totally good. Then in the next world, everyone's basically got entry to perfection, mm -hmm. and now everyone's on the same level because everyone's totally perfect. Perfection is perfection. Yeah, so basically all you've got to do is not mess up the majority of the time. 50, I'm aiming for 51%. <laughs> exactly. That's what as I'm long getting. as you're just over 50%, then, okay, it, it might not be pleasant to, for all the suffering and Gehenna, it's an understatement, but great. As long as you're over the 50% mark, you'll just burn out all the bad one way or another, and then you're good forever. And like, why, why try harder than that? That's what it sounds like. Okay, so it's not true. Number 7. There's another extremely foundational point that we need to make here. He says, This collective, the collective of the perfected ones, as we've mentioned earlier, that's destined for the world to come. It is not true that everyone will be on the same level at the same point of elevation and reach the same elements of holiness. It's just that what we've been talking about is that there is a minimum where a person can gain entry. And that, you know, I, I, let's put that in air quotes. Where a person can continue to exist, mm -hmm. basically, eternally, and have that minimal connection to God where, okay, you exist. There is that entry point. And that's what we said. That's just over 50%. Would that, would that still be like a happy position to be in? Absolutely. Okay. Um, so that, that's Existence. 
existence is good. Absolutely. How, however, it will come with, there are other texts that this author, the Ramchal, wrote, um, texts that are more practical in terms of motivating you to improve your life. And one of the things that he mentions there is that that's a big motivating factor is that you, there will be a sense of jealousy in mm-hmm. the next world when you look at someone above you on a higher level in that next world and you're thinking like, I could have done that. I could have been there. I could have used my free will more effectively. So is it good? Absolutely. But could always be better. Okay. And that's what we're, we're striving for perfection. So, but the point is that over here, there's a minimum level where a person can just attain their existence in the world to come. The lowest possible level where a person can have any sort of congruence and harmony with God and therefore experience him in the next world. And things were arranged that anyone who merits through their actions to at least that level, that small level, they're already included in this collective. And they will be among those who are left to experience eternal godly pleasure. But someone who didn't even reach that level, that person's just totally out. There's no eternal suffering. They're just not there anymore. Just their existence is null. However, if someone's in, they've reached that level, the more that they've merited to, they will be, have a stronger existence, let's say, in that final collective. As we've mentioned before many times, that God's intention in creating the world is in order for us to achieve our own perfection. We are masters of our own goodness. Whether on a general level or on a specific level, on every level, perush, meaning to say, it's not enough that you should just merit goodness. Once you've accomplished it with your efforts, everything that's given to you as a result of that, it's all in exact accordance with your actions. The level that you are on, the existence that you have eternally, will be determined by none other than you. You put yourself where you will be eternally. And in this final collective, there will be ones that are greater, ones that are smaller, big, large. But there will be no other cause to a person's greatness or conversely their lowliness other than their own free will. To the point where you have no complaint against God or anyone else, it will be absolutely clear to every individual that the result of your existence is according to what you chose for yourself and you bear full responsibility for that. So does the, that, and that still applies entirely for a person who has never learned this stuff. 
as well. That's factored in by God. Okay. God understands that. All right. Number eight. Now, we're going to bring up a point that we sort of addressed earlier, and it's a very important point. It's kind of a scary thing, so we got to be aware of this. According to this principle, we'll find another issue, a very big issue, when it comes to judging our actions. That certain actions are judged, that the result of that action is a higher elevation in that final collective, and the level of compensation that a person will get. Now, it's, it does exist that a person's actions will be paid for according, and this is all according to the true judge. God knows best how to do all this. It's exact and true and fair. Some actions are paid for here in this world. And therefore, in the next world, they will be among the very lowly ones, in the smallest. This is somewhat similar to the people that we've mentioned earlier, people that re- receive all of their reward here in this world. And they're totally eliminated in the, in the next world. But there's a big difference. Those people that we just brought up, those are totally wicked people. They have completely exhausted all of their merits by receiving reward for them here in this world. And they have no eternal existence whatsoever. They're just gone. The Elu, but these people that we're talking about, they do merit this eternal existence. They are there. And even if they will require a tremendous amount of purification, at least they're there. They exist. But because of the amount of degradation in their actions, their actions will only bring them to a very small level. Because the majority of their merits, they're cashing in here in this world. Because if judgment would decree that they should be paid for it in the next world, meaning experience that spiritual joy of being that way in the next world, they would have gotten it. So th- this is a fair thing. I don't know why or how right, this Right, I was going to say, this, this is clearly, I, I recognize that you made the distinction that these are different from the from the wicked people we were just talking about who no longer exist and so aren't there to receive an infinite reward. But yeah, this is clearly different where this is saying these are people who will exist in perpetuity and they're receiving some amount of finite reward in exchange for some of that infinite perfection. Right. It's the worst deal that you could ever take. Um, and is this a voluntary thing, you know, where, where God is looking in your soul and seeing what it is you want? Well, there are cases in the Talmud where people have requested it and... Uh, it sounds terrible. And thrown it away. It, right. It is, it's literally the worst decision you could ever make. I mean, aside from doing something wrong. This is like the, uh, like the, the, 
the concept of selling your soul almost. Yes, basically. It really is. It, uh, yeah, almost exactly. Um, correct. It's it's a terrible thing. And it's not something that anyone who's sane would ever engage in voluntarily. However, he did point out that this is according to God's judgment, which is always true and fair. Right. And for some reason, this is beneficial to this person. How? Why? I, I don't know. Maybe without receiving that reward here in this world, they would become so demoralized that they would have become totally wicked people and they wouldn't have even merited existence in the well, world to come. Is it beneficial to the person or is it just saying that it's justified, it's just? Everything that happens to us is beneficial to us. Every single thing. So that's why I was saying it could be that if they had not received that reward here in this world, maybe they would have been so demoralized mm. they wouldn't have even done the work necessary to... To get to, to that minimum level. Exactly. Okay. So any anything that happens to us is for our ultimate benefit. Okay. His final point here in this chapter is number nine. Everything that we've mentioned up until now in this chapter. We're talking about the suffering of the righteous. Why do bad things happen to good people? And why do good things happen to bad people? And also these terrible uh, sufferings that people go through in mental suffering and uh, emotional issues. This is all in addition to the final judgment that a person will have in the next world. However, when good things happen to the righteous. So we, we alluded to this. We spoke about it in beginning of this podcast and he didn't talk about it yet but when good things happen to righteous people that comes from something else that comes from a different path we'll speak about it soon later on everything that we've been talking about up until now in this chapter in the beginning of this chapter we mentioned there are two perspectives two ways of looking at the world there's the individual level and the collective level Everything in this chapter has been the broad picture, collective level. But how the system works on an individual, personal level, it's a different, different method, different path. Hmm. And that's what we'll be discussing in the next chapter. Okay. Thank you, Rabbi, for teaching us to exceed the 51%. You're absolutely welcome. Before we go, I want to make one final point. Because we addressed why do bad things happen to good people, at right. least on a general level. And while this system that we said makes sense, when you start to apply it in the real world, now even though he said we don't understand how it applies, we really have to understand that we don't understand. Because when you talk about, um, let's say like a, a really good person and he gets sick or he stubs his toe, <laughs> then okay, th this, this can help to put that into context. Or if a bad person becomes a multimillionaire and does really well in business. So th this puts all that in context. When we talk about a five-year-old girl that, that dies from leukemia, that didn't do anything wrong. Right. Didn't do anything wrong, ostensibly. And then it starts to throw everything into a spiral. Like We have to understand how pitiful our perspective on reality is. And the true, because you tell the person, well, it's really, it's really for her best interest. Like, well, 
How? Why? Well, how, how could that possibly be good? The, the answer is yes, that, that's a true statement. Anything that happens to any human being is ultimately for the, the ultimate good. But we have to understand that we have no ability to process that in this world. And it's not we, exactly comforting to that child's parents either. Of course not. And you never say that to anyone, right? This is all theoretical, yeah. right? That's, that would be the most, obviously the most insensitive thing to say. It's only sympathy. Mm. We, we try to internalize these things for ourselves. When we're suffering, we understand that everything's for the good. Uh, we need to understand things on an intellectual level. But how these things are, are actually applied, I mean, you can tell that person that also, but do you understand how this is getting? Not at all. In the next world, when the veil of this world is lifted, the, the whole illusion is dissipated, we will see then that all of it was, was amazing. Despite our best efforts to sabotage the world, God at every turn was merciful and kind and did everything to further our cause and our benefit. And God was only good to us. Within this world, we experience pain. We experience evil. And it's because our perspective is limited and it's meant to be that way. And so I, I wanted to add this caveat here at the end because we, we're dealing with a, an intellectual topic. Why do bad things happen to good people? And we have to understand that it's all intellectual and theoretical. We don't really understand, we can't really comprehend how it applies here in this world. We know it's theoretically true. On an emotional level, it's impossible to process. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's easy when you're, you're looking at someone else's pain and suffering and you're saying, well, you know, it's for the good. But then when it's, when it's me, it's, it's an entirely different scenario. And I, you know, mm -hmm. I know uh, that, that this is just unfair and wrong and it's it's real hard to yeah it's real hard to have it make sense yeah it doesn't make sense um it it won't we know that it's it doesn't have to make sense to know that it's true yeah and we can accept that it doesn't make sense but we, we have faith in god and that's uh we, we understand that there is a system even though we don't we can't see beyond the veil well I, one of the big things for me was just understanding that inherently there are some things beyond my comprehension and uh giving into that concept uh so this seems like one of those things. 100%. Okay, so until next time, we'll talk more about this system that we call reality. Thank you, Rabbi.